you're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. It's Langston Khan again. I'm a senior teacher of the Cycle Teachings and your host again for this week's episode, which is part three in our series on the four-year cycle of transformation process offered by the Last Mass Center. So we'll start with some prayer. I call out to your ancestors, all those good and true and beautiful ones in your line and mine, those ancestors who lived and died well. And I also call out to the non-human ancestors that dreamed ours into existence, those magnificent plants and animals and sacred directions and elements that dreamed our people into existence. We call out to the spirits of this land, especially help us surrender to our own true nature and to feel that true nature as a compass that guides all that we do in the world, that reminds us of who we are and why we are here. We give gratitude to the earth and the wonder of its dreaming. And we take that gratitude and extend it down to the center of the earth, that place where things that draw their power from darkness, rest, restoration, those things that nourish and replenish us live, that place of stillness and solitude and silence. And we draw up from there the wisdom of manifestation and a sense of deep belonging and home that travels with us wherever we go. We call in that belonging to our ancestors, belonging to the time we chose to come here on this earth, and a sense of belonging to our larger human family. Let us draw up from the earth a deep sense of responsibility. Let the earth teach us how to step into true spiritual adulthood so we can stop allowing the new ones coming, our babies and children, to be born without true elders. From there, we reach up to the highest power of the universe. And we allow those energies to move down into us from above, those energies of protection and blessing and generosity and purification, those energies of inspiration and innocence, and we move them through us into the earth, back to that center. And we allow these two great lovers, the above and the below, the heavens and the earth, to mix and merge within us, within our heart, and within every cell of our body, reminding us that each moment is an opportunity to move as an expression of their vast love. And as these energies mix and merge in our heart, they refract through that diamond in our heart that can never be harmed, that carries that essence of who we are and why we are here. 
and shine out of us as our unique radiance, our unique energy of why we are here. And we all have all that we need to share our love with the world in the form of the unique gifts of our soul's purpose. So the ones who are coming will be able to build upon the gifts we have shared and then share their own beauty with the world. And in doing so, reweave the very fabric of existence. As we move our gifts into the world, may we be especially in right relationship with teacher, leader, sovereign, and trickster as we learn to trust deeply, especially in our vision, to find wholeness in our lives so all of ourselves can be welcomed and embodied. And we find balance, that beautiful dance that is not a destination that we reach, but a constant series of micro-adjustments we're constantly doing to feel a sense of deep connection. And may we cultivate commitment to process passionately without attachment to outcome. May we cultivate our ability to take risks, to sacrifice when necessary, and to ask for what we want in in return when we are making those sacrifices. May we be clever and sneaky as needed as Trickster is and always be willing to laugh at ourselves and not take any of this too seriously as we keep throwing the ball of our purpose back out into existence. We honor you and we thank you. So this week we're talking about year three of the cycle teachings. And just to review, our first episode was about year one, which is masks of illusion and the authentic self. And year two is dance of the shadow self. And so now once we've dived into that deep shadow work, and brought back parts of ourself online that had been thrown into our conscious, kind of unconscious, kind of like a dungeon and locked away there and the key thrown away by our mind, we've now started to, to turn into allies, these parts of ourselves that were previously twisted and monstrous and fully begun to embody them and that process really repair our heart. And so as we've begun this process, we start to realize that there's actually deeper foundations to a lot of those shadows that we didn't just, you know, make up those shadows on our own or decide on our own that a lot of parts of us were unlovable, that we had a little help with that. And a lot of that comes out of both our family of origin stories, but also the cultural stories we carry. And so in a sense, we start realizing we really need help to pull our energy out of the stories we carry that support the lie of separation, that lie that we are just rugged individuals making our way on our own and that we're not dependent on anything else in our life except our own will and power. And so during year three, we're engaging in a multi-level transformational process to effectively transform our relationship with our power from one that is rooted in that lie of separation to a story that is deeply rooted in the oneness of all things. Not in an abstract way, like I'm choosing to be love and light and oneness with all things, but what would it mean to express my unique genius that I have a responsibility to embody in this life from the place of understanding 
that I am one with all things and that I am part of a vast interdependent web of entanglement as part of my existence? How do I use my power in a good way if I feel the true breath and depth of that responsibility and that truth? And so we begin to grapple deeply with what we can change in ourselves, the, the ways we have internalized that lie of separation, which often looks like stories about sexism and racism and genderism and all sorts of other isms that we need to unpack so we can really get to what our personal next steps are to come into right relationship with our power. And a lot of what that looks like is working with the stories of masculinity and femininity, what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman in our culture and looking at how those are ultimately stories that limit our power and that are false. That, that the story about what a man can do and what a woman can do is just false constructs given to us by our culture. And that if we're going to truly access our power as just power and not have all these value judgments built into it, then we need to deconstruct those constructs of masculinity and femininity and come back into relationship with um, like a Taoist concept of yin and yang these divine concepts of how we use our power and how we express our power versus um, just letting ourselves be limited by those cultural constructs. And another aspect of this year is learning to start to really deeply vision our life, to start to feel what that purpose energy we've been talking so much actually is for us right now and how we begin to find the vision that's guiding our actions and how we use our power in the world so we can begin to co-create our life. And it's a big year of change your story, change your life, which I think can get super abused often um, in different esoteric you know, and new age teachings where people make it seem like, oh, if you just change your mind, you can change your whole life and everything's wonderful. And that's that there's some kernel of truth to that. But I think when we, when we take that philosophy out of the context of understanding that we carry these stories that we need to change deeply in our body and they're deeply tied up and with the cultural baggage that we've been given then we lose something so this is all about how are those two things related and how once we extricate our power from these cultural stories can we start actually using that power to co-create the life that our heart is dreaming of so i have with me today two students and a few more might join us, um, Sadia and Mike. And they are have both actually been through year three and are on to year four. Um, and so Sadia has gone through the cycle multiple times. But I wanted them on because they both have um, some wisdom to share about their own experiences during this year. And so we'll start by just asking you both um, what made you decide to enter the cycle teachings in the first place? Where, where were you in your life when when you realized that that was important to you? We'll start with Sadia. Yeah. Hi, Langston, and hi, everybody, and thanks for inviting me on the show. It's an interesting question. Uh, when I first decided to join the cycle teachings, it was many years ago, and I was in my 20s, and having a bit of a, a personal crisis, I suppose you could call it a quarter-life crisis um, or whatever the fashionable term is. But um, 
I was doing pretty well professionally. I was working in investment banking. I had previously been a corporate lawyer. I had just moved to the U.S. for a job assignment. Um, and so on the surface, it looked like everything was going very well. But for many years, I mean, really, even all through law school, I had felt this sort of deep sense of, of uncertainty and um, or really a knowing that this was not the professional path for me. But none of the other ideas that I had seemed to fit any better. And I had been casting around with this top-down approach, you know, would I like this career? Would I like that career? And nothing seemed to really be resonating. And um, so when I uh, I came across the Last Mask Center website, actually, online, and um, I saw the just description of the workshop, Masks of Illusion and the Authentic Self. And I started reading the description and I thought, wait, this is exactly what I need. You know, this is a bottom-up approach instead of a top-down approach where I might actually be able to figure out what I really want. And that's something I've always struggled with and never really known, and maybe that would be the answer. And never having even met Christina and uh, never having known her beyond really just reading her introduction on the website, I signed up essentially sight unseen uh, to take this workshop at, at the time I'm held in Minnesota. And uh, that's how this whole journey began. Thank you, Sidia. And uh, would you like to share, Mike? Certainly. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Langston, for having me today. You know, I um, maybe have a little bit of a, I can relate to Sidia in that outwardly, my life looked pretty nice. I had a nice uh, corporate job. Um, I was working in the software field. But I had I had started uh, doing some shamanic workshops a few years before, and at a point, I I was really th actually through ceremony was given a clear message that it's really time for you to find a true teacher for you, and go out and do your work. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but um, I had a a friend from other shamanic group who said, hey, have you taken a listen to Christina Pratt? Why shamanism now? I was like, no, I never heard of it. So I listened to a few podcasts. And the next thing I knew, I was in Portland taking the energy clearing class because I needed to see this person face-to-face -face and feel the energy. And when I did, it just really hit me that, yeah, this, this is the person to make me dig in and go further. And um, so I spent the next couple years kind of hemming and hawing on that even. I have a real tendency to procrastinate and very analytical. So I had to weigh all the options. But in the end, it just felt right. The energy was there. Um, I felt an authenticity. It's a word we use a lot in the community, but... I immediately knew what it was. It's like, this is the teaching that will take me deeper. And I didn't, I had no clue what that meant at the time. But as it turns out, I think it has taken me much deeper. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. And so I'd, I'd love to hear from both of you a little bit about the expectations you had coming into year three, because I think, you know, so, so right now year three is called sacred self, the first workshop of year three. And, but before there's a long time where it was called 
sacred masculine, sacred feminine. And so I think that there's a way that that evokes uh, sort of men's work and, and women's work, um, which is a lot of beautiful stuff around that happening in the world and also a lot of problematic stuff that doesn't seem to be creating a lot of change. And so I'm curious just if either of you had any expectations as you were coming to sacred self about what work around gender through the lens of spirituality might look like. Maybe you can go, Sadia. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm happy to respond to that. It's interesting, Langston, when I took this retreat for the first time, it was still called Sacred Masculine and Sacred Feminine. And in some ways, I think a lot of other people might have been more inherently triggered by that than I was, um, at least on the surface. So I had the good fortune to be raised in a very supportive household and with a very feminist father in particular. So I had always felt that, um, you know, gender roles and conforming to traditional gender roles, particularly of uh, being a woman, you know, that that wasn't necessarily something that should be, you know, seen as, as boxing me in or, or holding me back. Um, you know, despite the fact that I, I do identify as a woman and I um, identify as, as straight and so forth, um, you know, but uh, I had not basically been given a lot of the um, the stories around restrictions and, you know, and playing nice and being feminine and, and so on that were, um, you know, certainly common and, and seemed to be commonly shared by a lot of people of my age, uh, especially in this country. Having said that, um, it certainly was interesting um, that, you know, I'm sure we'll go on to discuss this further, but for me, it was more of an issue of uh, my relationship with my feminine, actually, that uh, that was more more problematic for me because I had grown up essentially associating those stories that were um, traditionally um, sort of packaged together with the feminine as, as being associated with weakness. And, uh, you know, that's obviously not the case, uh, but that was a big hurdle that I needed to overcome and that was really important doing this work for me. Yeah, and I'd, I'd love actually, if you don't mind, just talking a little more about um, what it was like discovering those stories through the process and then and then working on them. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really powerful for me because I had thought that I didn't really have too much of a problematic relationship with these types of gender issues, as I mentioned. And, you know, when I started really digging into it and, and coming to it from the perspective of shamanism and the teachings, that I discovered how much of myself or how much of my self-expression I had been limiting because of this fear, I think, of being perceived as overly feminine or um, particularly working in a very um, corporate finance oriented sort of environment as I was, you know, working in banking, you definitely don't want to seem weak and you don't want to seem um, girly. So uh, those were things that I was very aware of um, all the time. And, and while I had certainly been raised to believe that I had every right to be in that environment and to be successful in it, I it did come at a cost of um, suppressing a lot of aspects of my true nature that were perhaps associated more with the feminine. And um, so that process hasn't been easy to pull all those parts out and you know, start to be able to love those parts of myself that I had basically pushed aside for a long time, um, particularly the feminine side. Uh, but it's been really rewarding, certainly. Thank you. Yeah, and for me, Langston, it, uh, you know, I grew up 
full disclosure, I, I, you know, I turned 60 this year, so, and I came to these teachings rather late in life. Um, I grew up in a very traditional home. You know, dad was out working blue collar worker and mom stayed home. So I had, I definitely had very strong preconceptions of what masculine and feminine were. And then, you know, I ingrained those even deeper by, you know, participating in typical team sports through high school. And then I ended up in the army for t almost 12 years where it was enforced even deeper. So I had, how would I put it? Um, yeah, just very strong cultural, what is our European heritage cultural norm ingrained in my mind. And yet I, I'm married to an engineer. I have two uh, adult daughters who have, uh, you know, I worked very hard and thought that I had released those beliefs. But entering year three and the sacred self and looking at that masculine and feminine, it was very moving to me to understand how I had shut down the feminine in me. You know, I was always told, you know, men are strong. They don't cry. They don't, you know, no vulnerability. Vulnerability is weakness. And one thing that this whole cycle teaches you very strongly is that vulnerability is so important to your personal growth. And so as I became more vulnerable, I realized that in reality, I had spent much of my time denying uh, the compassion, which is my gift. And so I had cut off half of myself, at least half of myself. And that realization is what really started transforming me, that I could be compassionate. I could have those what we consider feminine traits in our normal culture and still be identify it as a male. Um, so I really, um, how that has transformed me, I think, is that it has allowed me to be in a more masculine role, which is the leader. I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Leader, the teacher. So that, yeah, I'm going to end there right now because it's, it's amazing because still in the cycle, these processes are still transforming me. So sometimes as I'm speaking, I'm having further realizations. Yeah, thank you both. Um, I think that's a great point that it's not like you're just being cooked during the year when you're doing this stuff and then you put it all away and go on to the next thing. That It's so woven together and certainly when you're in year three, you're still sort of finishing up a lot of the shadow transformations you did the year before, and, and those are transforming you and changing how you approach life. And then when you're in your year four, like Mike is, you're, you're still um, feeling the stories that you took out and, and dismantled around masculinity and femininity, transforming you as you're working with your ancestors. So it's definitely all related and connected, and I, I can understand how it's a little hard sometimes to speak to that because you pull one thread and you you get this vast <laughs> ball of yarn that comes out with it 
So I appreciate you both both doing your best to, to share. And it's nice to have your perspective, Sadia, as someone who's been through the whole cycle as well. So I would love to get a little more into the nitty gritty of how did you work with these stories? What is it like being at the retreat for year three? Um, how, how do we engage the tools of animism, shamanism, and, and the body, really, to actually transform these stories in a deep, true way? Yeah, I can speak to that. I, I mean, without talking in too much detail about all of the different wonderful things that go on at the retreat, which uh, really um, is an amazing retreat. Uh, but one thing that was really powerful for me in terms of dismantling these stories around gender, around masculine and feminine, uh, was just that this, the embodied experience of being um, in the divine, really, of being one with everything. And I know that sounds, it sounds a little wishy-washy when you talk about it, you know? but from a, um, but from an experiential sense, it, it certainly didn't feel that way, that, that some of the things that, um, that you do at the retreat really enable you to be in this space where you're really in your body and you really have this immediate visceral recognition of your interconnectivity with all things. And also, you know, I don't want to say the arbitrariness of your form because it's not arbitrary, but at the same time, the fluidity of that aspect and how, you know, we really are in a body, but we also are spirit in a body and connected to all things. And, and that I think that this year three work more than any of the other parts of the cycle, even that is the year that for me personally gave me that the most um, immediate connection with that experience. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so part of one of the things, one of the many things that happens at the year three retreat is that we do a lot of shape shifting, a lot of engaging with nature, with plants and, and animals and insects and all sorts of things, and allowing ourselves to become them and commune with them after we've done all this work to get our energy out of these constricted forms so we're actually available for that shape-shifting and for that intimacy and vulnerability with nature and the spirit world all around us. And that was a really transformative and beautiful part of the experience for me, definitely. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, hard, not to, to, it's hard to talk about these experiences without it sounding like a Hallmark card, but it, it is one of the most visceral experiences I know for getting a felt, a felt sense in the body of what it actually means to be one with all things. It's not intellectual. That's just a, a deep knowing and feeling and experience that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and I, I would um, expand on that a little bit. So for me, those, those experiences of trying to shapeshift and succeeding, you know, that is something where I had a preconceived notion that I just, I thought that was purely a mental construct. I could not see myself ever reaching that stage. And I now realize that's because I did deny my own divinity. I could not connect with that deep connectedness of all things. So, um, <laughs> I remember trying to shapeshift and trying to connect with a hawk I had seen. And so you're out in the desert, you're alone, you're trying just to really 
embody what this creature is saying. And even I, you know, I have my doubts. I, I'm a very analytical and mathematically trained. But suddenly I heard a pigeon and my head just jerked around. And, you know, that first feeling of, wow, this is my food. This is my possible food for this evening. And it just so startled me that I could connect that way. And then later in the retreat, um, when we are really bringing in our divinity, doing a journey to connect with our higher selves, um, the energy that that invoked and the change and transformation that that put in motion are still you know, just very visceral. So that bringing, I had always thought that I was very strongly into my body. And really it was in year three to these retreats and this process that I realized I was never in my body. I was never grounded. I was always in my head. And so to dance and to journey and to bring those energies and feel them and embody them, it's just so powerful, incredibly powerful. Yeah. And I'm curious if either of you would like to share if there's anything you learned about the nature of power itself and its connection with how you co-create a life that's actually in alignment with your purpose. Maybe you could start, Sadia. Yeah. I mean, I think as it's probably apparent from some of the history that I shared around my own life and earlier professional experiences that I had a pretty... Um, I had a pretty traditional concept of what power meant and what power was in the world. And that, um, that in fact, that belief structure, that story, even though it had enabled me at least in the framework of that time to become relatively successful professionally, it had essentially resulted in me suppressing a lot of my own actual personal power um, and my authenticity and, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of the, the essential attributes that would have enabled me to really step into my power. I really uh, resonated with what Mike said earlier around the qualities of compassion and, and kindness, because certainly those qualities, although I am a woman and although they're traditionally associated with the feminine, that in the careers that I had uh, chosen, I felt like I had to um, disidentify with those types of things and not come across as being too nice or too kind or, you know, or too compassionate. And, you know, you're, you're a banker. You're supposed to be tough and ruthless and, and hard-nosed and all of those traditionally masculine qualities, you know. And um, that in the retreat, it, it really helped me to connect with, you know, my own power as being part of my authenticity and that there's a different quality of expression and of co-creating your life that comes from, really being able to be the person that you are and to be the person that you were really meant to be. And that, again, it's a visceral sort of thing. It's a little bit hard to put in words, but it definitely, there is an energetic difference in terms of how you present yourself and how you, um, you face the world, really, when you're coming from that place, which is how I think about power, following this, this path. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's... 
so essential that 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 we have so many stories in our culture about what power is that really comes from a place of power over and control or tyranny or domination and 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 really power as cutting off parts of ourselves to be successful versus power as you're saying as authenticity as this ability to bring forth from within yourself the full um, embodiment of your soul and and move that into the world to share your love of the world and, and share your unique gifts of the world in, in a million different ways and uh, essentially freedom and liberation as a huge part of power that I, it's so um, I think life-changing to really experience the truth of that and be able to step out of that larger cultural story around power so we have a uh, Another student joining us here, Susanna. And so welcome, Susanna. I would love if you could share with us a little bit about what your experience with being in right relationship with Trickster was and how that maybe changed the relationship with the energy of your soul's purpose as part of these teachings. Because so we have two main archetypes of working with this retreat, teacher, leader, sovereign, and then the crazy logic version of teacher leader sovereign the shortcut which is trickster that way that the that energy has of causing us to sort of fall on our face to remember our power and our authenticity and notice where we're getting stuck and wrapped up in these cultural stories that are really limiting who we actually are and so yeah i'd love if anything you'd like to share about that Susanna. Thank you for uh, having me. Um, so glad to join you here today. Um, Trickster uh, and I go way back. Uh, we have a, a long history together in that um, my way of approaching things is think is a little bit trickstery anyway in that I'm always looking at a sort of askew angle to, to put things together in new ways. Um, and my friends, I think, see me a little bit trickstery also. I'm always, uh, you know, prompting them to do things a little bit differently, I look things a little bit differently. But so when I came across Trickster in year three, I felt a little like, oh, I'm meeting an old friend. But then I also got a big dose of my own medicine. Um, and uh, I had a hard time actually connecting to year three in some ways, uh, the masculine and feminine uh, constructs. Uh, you know, I... I felt like I'm not really quite getting this. I don't really, you know, believe in this or, you know, I, 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 you know, I know that we're trying to bring it back to true yin, true yang, but, um, I think that I don't already believe in this. I understand it's a cultural story. It just didn't really connect with me, but then trickster, uh, really showed me how it was deeply in me in this way that, I couldn't quite explain and only could get to through dancing and through feeling it in my body and um, also having it thrown up in my face against um, sort of a prejudice of um, non, non-binary presentation. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that was really interesting to me. Uh, because by the end of year three, I mean, I actually ended up having an extra year of year three um, in my cohort. So uh, it took two years to get through it uh, or to to be ready for the next year. And by the end of that, I realized my own um, non-binary nature. Um, 
that I wouldn't, I couldn't even look at. And so I got a little bit fooled, <laughs> um, <laughs> but in the best way of like really finding out my, my, myself in, in a, in a deep and purposeful way. So beautiful. So, so what it's sounding like to me is that you, you at first felt a little puzzled because you didn't feel you had a lot of stories about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman that were affecting you in your life. But eventually Trickster showed you that there was a way that in that you were still thinking that in a sense you had to be one or the other and denying a little bit that your true nature was in fact non-binary to some extent. Is that correct? Exactly. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And so I would love to get into just how did moving through this year transform your life? And maybe you can start, Sadia. And you can feel free to either talk about your first time around or or this latest time just now. Yeah. Um, well, since it's fresh in my mind, I will talk about the recent experience that I had where as um, as listeners may or may not be aware, once you've completed all of the cycle teachings, you're welcome and invited to retake any of the retreats um, at a future date if you feel that you need to refresh that work or move through your process in that way. And I felt called this year to retake um, the second half of the year three work, which is birth of the teacher. And, um, you know, it's been really a very profound experience for me personally. I had had undergone a lot of, um, I guess, personal transformation uh, the first time around. Uh, and then, you know, things were going well. And I had certainly seen a lot of improvement in my life uh, in terms of my general happiness and, and feelings of alignment. But I still felt like I wasn't quite there, really. Uh, but things were, were going pretty well, uh, you know, in some ways. It, it seemed like, you know, it wasn't broken and, you know, so forth. And and then earlier this year, I suppose it was, or, or well, earlier last year, I guess, um, now we're in 2019, um, I had a few experiences related to some travel that, that really – put in perspective how much more there could be in my life and how the life that I was living was really sort of a, a pale reflection of what I really authentically wanted and could see that my life could be about. And that that kind of plunged me into a bit of a crisis again to a certain extent where I just felt like I looked around at my life that was really objectively pretty nice and felt like, you know, none of this stuff is is what I want. None of this stuff is really, is really juicy, you know? And, um, so I shook up a lot of things in my life. I, um, uh, decided to travel around the country in my RV. I'm lucky to have the kind of work that I'm able to, to do that remotely. So, um, that wasn't a problem from that standpoint, but certainly it felt like I needed to, um, to get much clearer on my priorities. And, um, it just reminds me of something that Christina says a lot around the teachings, around this phase of the teachings, and that I remember her saying to me when I was entering this phase that, you know, that as you move into the second half of the cycle teachings into year three, that it's really, it becomes about choosing life. And so for me, retaking birth of the teacher and really making those very conscious commitments to draw in those energies of my life that I wanted to co-create essentially felt really important and really intentional at this point when I had essentially, um, deliberately, um, 
I guess, deliberately sort of, uh, you know, rid myself of a lot of the, the trappings of my previous life to an extent or shaken things up in a, a fairly dramatic way in a lot of areas, just in order to be able to to really dedicate my time and energy to those things that were most rewarding and most in line with my authenticity and my power. So I know that that's a bit of a ramble. Hopefully that made some sense. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I, yeah, and we haven't talked yet about how there's a sort of dotted line that goes over the whole cosmology of the cycle of transformation, where year one and two are a lot about running from death, in a sense, um, and, and sort of taking your energy out of those things that are killing you or, or letting them fall away, what needs to die in your life so that you can truly live. But then year three and four are about, as Sadia was saying, choosing life. What does it mean to no longer just be running from death, just like running away from that which hurts or even engaging with that which hurts and actually starting to consciously co-create your life, the life that you want for yourself. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that example, Sadia. Now, I'm going to go back to you, Sadia, just because I know you have to leave um, to ask you if you have any just advice or thoughts that you would give to someone who was thinking about taking the cycle teachings and starting with mass this year. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, um, I mean, I, I, I certainly feel like it's well named in terms of being called the cycle of transformation. It certainly has transformed my life in a positive way. I'm not going to say that the work is always easy. It, often it's not, often it's hard, often you get in your life into a mess and you think, what the hell am I doing here, you know, in this big mess? But, you know, the way that I look at it is I certainly would not wish to be back where I was when I started the teachings. And, um, you know, when I think back upon it and how far I've come personally and how much more joy I'm able to experience in life, you know, even with all of the difficulties that, you know, come as you undergo transformation on a personal level, I certainly would not give that up. And um, it's definitely not necessarily, um, it's not a quick fix, um, but I don't think anything worthwhile really ever is. And I would certainly wholeheartedly recommend it to anybody that's seriously considering it. Thank you, Sadia. And so I'd love to go to Mike now to share, what was your experience of how your life transformed after moving through year three? So for me, it was really, I think the most dramatic uh, transformation was learning the difference between force and power. Um, having served in the military and many other experiences through my life, I, I had seen force. I had seen how we coerce people. I had seen how we take that overseas and use it against others and that to me is what I knew as power and through this third year the big shift for me was to realize that what true power is what connecting with divinity is how you come into your own true story still a story perhaps but you bring it into that true yin true yang energy and you feel 
that your gifts, you recognize your gifts. For me, it was recognizing my gifts um, for the first time. I, um, I had always denied my nurturing side and I have enjoyed through the cycle um, just personally and I've had the, the blessing to um, shadow assist with for you, Langston and others. That has shown me, I used to say, well, I don't know what my gift in life is. I have no idea. And as I was just able to help hold the container for others and experience that nurturing side of myself and not see that as a weakness, but to, you know, I used to say, well, the only gift I have is to hold people. And what does that do? And now I realize how special that is. So to make that transformation and to start understanding true power and the gifts of the teacher and the leader um, in a in a energetic sense has been just very deep for me. And I, it's also you know throughout the cycle, we Christina talks about going to that place of discomfort to learn. So you push yourself just a little bit further. And I realized actually just very recently, maybe in the last week or two, that my life is rather hectic. And I I have reached a point where if I don't feel that discomfort, I know that there's more I need to do. Um, Even coming on here, Langston, I, when you sent the invite, I think my reply was, yeah, that makes me very uncomfortable. So yes, I need to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, for me, that has been the big transformation in this year three from the year three work. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. Um, and I love that what you shared about discomfort. I think, yes, yeah, so it's something we talk about in the cycle a lot is that we when we're where we're comfortable, we're dying, essentially. And not that there's anything wrong with comfort, but that we want to actually continue growing and bringing more of our soul into embodiment, that, that a little discomfort is necessary. And I'm not talking about masochism. I'm not talking about just staying in a huge amount of discomfort because it's the right thing to do. We actually also talk about how there's a certain level of discomfort where you're staying in that means you're only generating more discomfort and not actually growing or learning. So in that case, you'd want to get out of the discomfort and into a little more comfort. But there is that that way that when we're willing to move into our discomfort, just enough of our discomfort, we can bring more of our actual true nature and gifts online in a really beautiful way. So I appreciate you sharing that. I would love to hear from you as well, Susanna. How did you experience your life transforming during year three or after year three? Well, all throughout the cycle, I've made huge, there's been huge changes in my life. Um, And after year three, um, I had lost uh, both my mother and father in the previous couple of years. And I really had to step into, um, I have an, as an only child, you know, I I sort of stepped into my own uh, as a, like a true adult having to close out their estates, having to close up like really everything from my childhood, um, figuring out, you know, like stepping into leadership and, and, and 
um, just making huge decisions beyond sort of anything I had done before. Um, I, I also had to confront, you know, the stories about my, my own parents and, and, you know, what their lives were about and how they had affected me and, um, had just, uh, you know, grieve. And so that was an extremely difficult and, um, uh, growing time. Um, now I can look back on it and say that I really grew an enormous amount in that time. Um, and of course, you know, that those circumstances would have happened whether I was in the cycle or not, but I'm sure that I would have gone through it a much different way. Um, I mean, I had so many more tools and perspectives and ways to actively approach my life and my grief and my, um, my understandings of the, you know, world around me, uh, so much more than I would have had I not, you know, been in the cycle. And of course, um, a huge component also was the just being in community uh, with the last mass community and having all of the support and um, uh, understanding and, and skills also, you know, in terms of dealing with uh, uh, crossing people over and psychopomp and all of that, that, that really supported me through a very, very difficult time. Um, so my life transformed in many ways, just, you know, from like the circumstances that happened, but in terms of how I move in the world, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't initially engage with the whole story of it, um, very well. It was sort of the most disconnected year for me in terms of the work, um, up until then. And I, uh, but I did really connect with the divinity piece um, and, you know, I started doing a lot of work with that to start to focus my life now from, you know, what it had been into the future. And I continued to make really huge changes in my life uh, in that time um, and, and, you know, sort of just deciding what kind of career I was into, what my actual soul's purpose was, which is about com community building. And, um, you know, when I got was in doubt of what that might look like I would dance it with my divine self mask and uh, really feel it in in my heart and then some crazy opportunity would come across my uh, desk and, you know to facilitate something or to plan an entire graduation for a brand new school or uh, you know and create ritual and create um, you know a, a method of uh, student government um, so, it was a, a an extremely transformative year, um, though. So, which is to say, even though I didn't feel like I resonated with the teachings at, that much at the time, it also really affected my life. Thank you. And so, I'm curious if you can share a little bit more about how community was affecting your transformational process and supporting you in the work. I mean, you shared a little bit about the sort of skills that people were offering to support you through a difficult transition. But yeah, I'm just curious if you can share more about how community has played a part in, in your process as you move through the teachings. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I think in some ways being in community has been the biggest part of being in the teachings for me, knowing what community is uh, for the first time since um, I was a really little kid in a, a Buddhist practice 
Um, you know, community at that time was actually one of the saving graces for my life. Uh, helped me con- stay connected in a very otherwise isolated sort of world and childhood. Um, and, you know, it never really occurred to me that that was true. Uh, after I, I had left that community as a as an adolescent, I never really did have any other kind of real community to be in. Um, and, you know, of course, friends and, you know, possibly mentors and, and things like that. But to feel like really supported by um, peers that and uh, well, people at all different kinds of levels, elders and, and, and you know, people that you can also mentor um, that are all doing something for a common purpose that aren't doing it because they're friends. They're doing it because uh, it means something to them. Um, I had to relearn what that meant. And that is one of the things that I did uh, really encounter in the last mass community, which I also really was not looking for at all. Uh, because when I learned that it was a community and not just a, you know, a, a class to go to, I was very opposed to it. <laughs> I was like, I don't think this is for me. Um, but, uh, you know, staying with that and like really, you know, first connecting with my own cohort uh, of that are in, in the actual classes with me. And then further on to the, the greater community, I realized, oh, there's actually a lot here for me and a lot of opportunity to step into different roles, to try different things, to serve in different ways. And serving felt like uh, really fulfilling because, I oh, I have the skill that. I can apply to something I actually really care about um, and not not for pay, be, but for fulfilling my heart. I, I mean, I don't really even have another word for that. Um, but uh, it was really different. Um, uh, and uh, and so and the individuals, of course, you know, I, I have made lots of friends and, and lots of mentors um, and uh that's been extremely important, but um, not actually as important as just the, the community as a whole and the opportunities that it, it uh, has presented and the support that is presented through, you know, some of the hardest years of my life in terms of circumstance. Um, I, and I've, and also, as I mentioned, like, I really feel like part of my, my soul's purpose, my calling that I've really figured out is about community building um, and and creating creating container and I certainly certainly wouldn't have gotten into that without um, not only the teachings but being in community in those teachings. Thank you, Susanna. And Mike, I would love for you also to share just what could, what the role of community has been in your process moving through the teachings. It's really been amazing. As you go through the years, as you go through the retreats with people, to me it was just fascinating to see the vulnerability and the trust emerge. One of my commitments in Sacred Self was to, that I came out of Sacred Self with, was to trust my relationships. And that was always difficult for me. There was always a some mistrust, especially, I, I will admit, especially of women, um, that had been ingrained in me from an early time. And to see those uh, genders, gender roles break down, and then to allow myself 
to be vulnerable within the cohort at first. And now I think I bring that into life in general. It was wonderful to be held and supported by the cohort and this whole community. Um, you, you can be authentic and you don't have to worry about what that means. You don't have to put on the mask and you can be raw and you know that people are going to understand. And you know, one aspect of uh, the cohort that I have found fascinating is that it is not all love and light. <laughs> we struggle, typical relationship problems come up. I remember, this takes me back to shadow a little bit. Um, there was an individual who I, I just, every time that person spoke, triggered me. It made me feel angry and I didn't know why until I finally figured out that this person reminds me so much of the positive qualities of my father. And yet that also brought up those old things that I didn't like about my father, that the stories that were painful and emotional. So being able to interact with a group is just um, an experience that I had never really had in a deep level. And to be held and to learn that trust and to learn that you all are connected, no matter who's there, no matter where they're from, no matter their background, their role, you will find a way to connect or see how you are connected with them. So that to me, and also to, you know, to give, to have a chance to serve back to the community in ways that I would have never thought of before. It brings out, you know, it all comes together with coming into your own power and being able to share back your gifts. Yeah, that's that's a really important point. I think um, for me, I was asked to start serving on community council, which is the leadership council of our community uh, shortly after year two when I was going into year three. And I don't know that I would have engaged as robustly as I did in year three and, and experienced as much transformation as I did if I hadn't had that opportunity to start serving in, in a leadership position, a vision that was so much bigger than my own personal vision for my life. And it was a priceless gift. It, it was work. It was really hard work and a lot of learning. And I was not a person who was naturally you know, gifted necessarily to do that type of work. Um, it was really challenging. I remember I asked Christina at the time, uh, so is there like a book I can read to prepare for this? And she was like, well, I think we're all going to be writing the book, Langston. So you got to just do it and see what happens. And so there's also a lot of guidance and mentorship from other elders in the community at the time, which is a really beautiful thing. Um, but I think that's just a, a, a gift that can't be underemphasized, um, which is that being in these teachings gives you an opportunity also if you choose to serve in community, the larger vision of the community, and in doing so to learn more about your gifts and your authenticity 
in a way that is really, I seldom see in many of the spiritual communities that I'm part of, this ability in service to have space to fail and mess up and also get reflections from other people who are watching you and working alongside you of your beauty that you can't see yourself. Things that we think, oh, that's just how every human is, but then realizing, no, this is a really unique gift that you have that is vital here and that matters and that we are grateful for you to for bringing. And I think that, that that experience is so precious and very hard for people who haven't experienced that to understand the value of. Um, so I just wanted to emphasize that, and I appreciate you both sharing different ways that both community and your ability to serve in community changed your process of transformation. So now I would like to ask both of you if there's anything you would share with people that are considering coming into the teachings. If we can start with you, Susanna. Coming into the teachings has really changed my life in terms of engaging with it so much more. I'm actually really excited about my life in a, in a way that I don't think I could have even imagined before because I have not only um, a context to view how uh, things happen to, you know, things that happen to me, things that uh, come up, like being able to like figure out, like not just figure out, but move through blocks that I've had my entire life um, in an active and real time way. Um, The story that unfolds is fascinating um, how, you know, sometimes there have been times when in year one something comes up and I'm like, I don't know what this is. And you just kind of have to put a pin in it. And just like a really good novel, 10 chapters later, you're like, oh, that's what that was. (laughs) And it's the key to the new uh, throne room that has just been um, revealed. So I, you know, I just, it's, it's, um, it's, I don't know. It, it, It has just changed everything for me. Um, and again, saying, you know, it has been some of the most difficult years of my life. And yet um, things that in the past would have definitely thrown me into, uh, you know, depression. I had struggled with depression and anxiety my whole life. Um, part of me getting into the cycle and not that I would recommend it necessarily for this, but I really wanted to to change how I engaged with my uh, my depression and my anxiety And, you know, having these skills has actually allowed me to not not go on um, the same cycle of antidepressants and and going off of them and trying this and trying that and actually just really being conscious of what's going on um, and and being able to catch, well, oh, I'm slipping sort of down a hole in a completely different way than I ever did before. And then actually being able to dig myself like out of it by doing my different kinds of work on it. And instead of just, you know, being like, I can't function, I need something to get out of it. I'm really glad for my, for antidepressants and for what they, how they serve me. And again, I'm not recommending it. that It's a wholehearted replacement, but for me in my own experience, I just noticed that like, you know, depression for me, I think is part of disconnection and isolation and just not feeling connected, not only to other people, mostly to myself, mostly to the the world that surrounds me, including the earth, including the elements, including 
um, you know, things that we can't see, including our ancestors, all of those things. And now I'm so much more plugged in that it's like I feel caught, um, caught in that good way of like, oh, if I stumble, there's there's somebody to catch you. Um, and not just, you know, like I said, other people and other community members, but um, really a, a network of myself that exists uh, much more accessibly than ever did before. So um, for people that were considering joining, it's like, let's say, I mean, I, I think everybody's experience is certainly different, but um, it authenticity is challenging. Uh, it's not an easy thing to try to get to, but once you see things about yourself, you can't unsee them and your life can't be anything but better for knowing more of who you are because who you are is an amazing, unique, genius individual. Um, so it serves all of us <laughs> in the entire world, past, present, and future, for you to to uh, explore that more, however that means to you. Thank you, Susanna. Yeah, I, wow, that's beautifully put, Susanna. Thank you. What I'd like to add is that I really think, you know, I always thought that I was somehow supposed to explore. And I thought that meant out in the world, going places, doing things, uh, picking new spiritual studies, just being out there exploring. But what the cycle has brought to me is that there's a deeper, richer place to explore and that is within us and within the spirit world and to go deep into that is a challenge it is not always pleasant you uncover things in yourself that it's hard to love <laughs> until transformed but to move deeper in to that world into that realm brings so much out to the world and really I would say if you are curious about yourself then this is really the place you need to be thank you both that was really beautiful um, so I just want to remind everyone that the next masks of illusion and the authentic self retreat which starts you off with the cycle of transformation is this June 2nd to 7th at El Rancho Robles in Oracle, Arizona. And we'd love to have you there. Um, if you want more information about signing up and registering for the retreat, you can go to the homepage of lastmaskcenter.org. Don't look at the calendar. The calendar is still in the process of being updated right now because we're going through a website update currently. But just if you look at the homepage, it has all the information you need on it. And if you want more information, you can email masksretreatwatcher at gmail.com that, that's masks retreat watcher at gmail.com and and someone will give you a little more information if you have any questions about the retreats um, additionally uh, there are two classes that you can take if you sign up that um, will help you just get a foundation for entering into the teaching so those are available to you one of them is energy body mastery class if you haven't already taken that and one of them is a class on journeying, on basic journeying, the sort of like a mini class. It's a really excellent sort of journeying uh, 
intensive masterclass by Christina. So I, I hope that any of those of you who would benefit from joining these teachings uh, consider coming this year. I think it's going to be an amazing year. We already have a bunch of really excellent people uh, signed up. So I just want to offer gratitude for our beautiful guests who have joined us, Hasidia, Susanna, and Mike. And I want to give thanks to our ancestors, human and non-human, those good, true, and beautiful ones who hold all the medicine in our line and are here surrounding us and enfolding us in their love, wanting for us that we bring all of ourselves to bear, to meet the needs of our time. We give thanks to you. We give thanks to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. And I look forward to seeing you next week when we talk about year four and dive into ancestor work and visionary work and how we actually begin to envision a life that will serve not just ourselves, but the next seven generations as well. <laughs>